Welcome once again to Leto's Law. Here's Steve Leto. This story is a convergence of two things. One, a, a topic I covered a while back and the Institute for Justice, people we love. Matthew sent me notes that Steve checked this out. And you'll recall the story about the safe deposit boxes that were in a private company. Uh, as a private company, you could pay and you go into their facility, you put stuff in the safe deposit box, you leave. And the government became convinced that that company that ran that business was uh, committing crimes. So uh, search warrants were issued and so on. And they came in and they seized everything in the business, including the nests that contained the safe deposit boxes, which, of course, contained the safe deposit boxes, which were holding things owned by other people who were simply customers of this business. And so at the time that happened, the government said, oh, well, we'll inventory what's in the boxes, but we'll give it all back to the owners. And of course, everyone was fearful. Well, this sounds like it could turn into a civil asset forfeiture case, which is what it did turn into. So the Institute for Justice got involved and a lawsuit ensued. And during their lawsuit, they've discovered some interesting things. So here's the story is written by Andrew Weimer. Lawsuit uncovers the inside story of the FBI's plans to take security deposit boxes without charging owners with crimes. The allegation here is that the evidence shows that the FBI was planning this all along. You might say, Steve, that's not news to anybody. Oh, it might be news to the magistrate who signed off on the search warrant. So when the FBI asked a federal magistrate judge for a warrant to seize the property of U.S. private vaults, it concealed critical details about its plan for the hundreds of individually rented security deposit boxes at the Beverly Hills business. Evidence brought to light in a federal class action lawsuit filed by the Institute for Justice reveals the previously hidden history of the federal government's raid, which deliberately violated the constitutional rights of hundreds of people in Southern California. The government has a duty to be honest with the court when it applies for a warrant under the Fourth Amendment, says Robert Fromer, who is a senior attorney with the Institute. But the FBI lied about its intentions in claiming to only be interested in the property of the business and not the box holders or the box contents. Ultimately, the lure of civil forfeiture turns these federal cops into robbers. Uh, for almost five years, the government investigated individual customers of U.S. private vaults using the business as, in the words of an agent, a honeypot to its uh, target customers. However, the government shifted its focus to the company after deciding its initial approach was not effective. And effective is the quote. As part of that shift in focus back in 2020, the government started planning to apply for a search and seizure warrants against U.S. private vaults and its owners. One of those warrants was to seize U.S. private vaults business property, including the Nest, the relatively worthless superstructure that held renters' safe deposit boxes. When the FBI applied for that seizure warrant in March of 2021, its affidavit did not allege that the customers had done anything wrong, and both the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office swore that agents would merely inventory the property in those boxes. Inventory, that's the word. They would inventory what was in them. They promised the warrant would authorize a seizure of the nests of the boxes themselves, not their contents. So they specifically said, not their contents. That's important. And that the agents would pry no further than necessary to determine ownership. 
So they inventory the contents, find out who the owners were, and presumably return it to its rightful owner. But the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office failed to tell the judge that months before, months before, they and other government agencies had already formulated plans to use civil forfeiture against customers' property. And in fact, before the federal magistrate had even seen the warrant application, FBI officials had concluded they would use civil forfeiture against every asset and every customer box if it was worth more than $5,000. So they had this number of $5,000. Where'd that number come from, you might ask? Well, $5,000 is the FBI's minimum monetary threshold for forfeiture. In other words, the government testified that it planned to seize and administratively forfeit every box renter's property so long as it thought it would make money on the deal. It planned this despite not knowing who those renters were, what was in their boxes, or if they'd committed any crimes. So this is the ultimate extension of where civil asset forfeiture goes if you let it go unchecked. And that is that the government can say, we are now just scooping up anything worth more than $5,000. Because here, they planned on doing it not even knowing who the people were who owned the stuff and clearly not having any knowledge that would connect it to any crime. They're saying there's a bunch of safe deposit boxes and anything in there worth more, more than five grand we're going to take under civil asset forfeiture. Why? Why not? The burden should always be on the government to prove wrongdoing before it can take somebody's property. The government here just assumed that everything in the box is worth more than $5,000 was somehow connected to a crime, says senior attorney Robert Johnson with the Institute. That is a perfect example of how civil forfeiture takes the presumption of innocence and turns it on its head. When FBI officials marched into U.S. private vaults in March of 21, they executed their plan. And to gather more evidence to support their efforts, those same FBI officials ignored the seizure warrant's command that it does not authorize a criminal search or seizure of the contents of the boxes. And that's a quote. Under the warrant, agents were only supposed to inspect the contents of the boxes, not to search for potential violations of law, but simply to identify their owners in order to notify them so they can claim their property. They were supposed to, in essence, say, we have this stuff in our possession, but it ain't ours come get it and give it back to its rightful owners. And if they really needed to seize that nest, which they claim they did, well, the boxes and the contents specifically were excluded from that. But despite its promises to the court, the FBI created custom forms that asked agents to look for information the government could use in pursuing forfeitures. One document, for instance, asked agents to note things such as how the cash is bundled, if it has a strong odor, or if there appears to be drug residue. Another instructed that cash over $5,000 should be sniffed by a canine unit, which I believe is a dog. And in fact, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service arranged for numerous drug dogs to be on site. The government agreed that it gathered this evidence because it could be probative later on in showing the government could forfeit that money or other property. So again, they're planning this all along. Under the warrant's terms, agents should have stopped when they encountered letters taped to the top of closed boxes 
that identified the box as renter and beneficiaries. Yet, invariably, agents dug through the box, capturing photographic and video records of renters' password lists, wills, personal notes, and other sensitive documents. Now the FBI and other agencies have copies of these records in their databases where renters' private personal information will remain for agents to access and analyze. In May of 21, the government carried out its plan to commence administrative forfeiture proceedings against hundreds of boxes containing over $80 million in cash and tens of millions more in gold, silver, jewelry, and other valuables. And one of the things I have to tell you is one of the most common comments I get under civil asset forfeiture cases where people are traveling large amounts of money, like the Marine who was driving along, I think he had like $80,000 in cash on him, and it got taken from him by police. And I've had people who say, Steve, seriously, why would somebody be traveling with that kind of cash? And people jump in and go, because it's not illegal, and the guy didn't think he'd get robbed by the cops? Um, What should you do with your money? I'd put it in a safe deposit box. Look what happens when you put your money in a safe deposit box. Now, I know you're going to say, you're going to say, Steve, this is a private safe deposit box. I'd put it in a bank safe deposit box. Oh, how different is that again? You know, so that same month, back in May of 2021, the Institute for Justice sued the government on behalf of several named box holders and a broader class of people who had identified themselves to the FBI seeking return of their stuff. They won an early victory when the court barred some of the government's forfeiture proceedings, holding that the government's failure to tell renters what crime it thought they committed violated due process. So here a court's actually said, wait a second, if you're going to take their stuff because you suspect it's guilty of a crime, shouldn't you at least have to tell them what crime it's guilty of? Because remember, you're not on trial, your stuff is on trial. Due to the government's shocking violation of the Fourth Amendment, the FBI and other agencies continue to hold on to the detailed records of hundreds of people's boxes. For months, the FBI held on to our precious metals and treated me and my husband like criminals. If we had not fought back, we could have lost a significant part of our life savings forever, says one person who's a plaintiff in the suit. Our lawsuit can't turn the clock back and keep our rights from being violated. But we want to make sure the government never does this to anyone else and doesn't hold on to the records and photos of our private possessions. And so that's the story. Uh, And that, again, is stuff that they've dug up in their lawsuit. So I talked recently about that big case where the attorneys accidentally turned stuff over during discovery they shouldn't have done. And I was talking about discovery. And in a lawsuit, you're allowed to seek discovery. And if it's granted or if it's allowed by the court rules, you can ask the other side to turn stuff over to you that's relevant to the case, as long as it's not privileged and so on. So here, the Institute for Justice gets involved, files a class action lawsuit against the FBI and the government, saying that, number one, we want our stuff back, and number two, we want to make sure it doesn't happen again, that kind of thing. And so here's the deal. As part of the discovery, the Institute for Justice can ask and say, turn over All the memoranda and other writings, documents, memos, whatever you might have uh, about this raid, uh, whether it happens after the raid or before the raid, as long as it's relevant to the raid on this one particular business. And so someone turned over all the stuff and lo and behold, they find stuff that happened before the raid that shows what their plans were. 
and their plans appear to conflict with what the search and seizure warrants said they could and could not do. And so I actually had some people say, Steve, discovery seems really wrong to me. Seems to me if I sue somebody, I should sue them based on what I got. They should be able to defend themselves based on what they got. And the point is that if both sides have the evidence and both sides share the evidence, number one, a lot of cases will settle once the truth comes out. Remember, the courts, one of their jobs is try to get to the truth. And so if this discovery wasn't available, no one would know what the plans were. We now know what the plans were. They planned this all along, and they discovered that during discovery. Perhaps that's why they call it that. So it's, it's a bizarre twist to this case, but it shows you, unfortunately, that there are people in the government trying to figure out ways to take stuff from people. So Matthew sent this. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. This whole story is from the press release by the Institute for Justice. Every time I talk about one of their stories, I have to give them a plug because I love the work they do. And I've gotten notes back from the Institute who've told me that my viewers in particular are among the most generous they've ever encountered. And they've, they've, they've actually told me numbers. They said, Steve, here's how much money your viewers have donated that we know of. But they've actually said, I watch Steve Leto. He talked about a story you guys did. I'm donating money to you based on that. Now, here's the deal. I'm not begging for money right now. Neither are they, by the way. But if you like what they're doing, understand that there are very few entities out there doing this kind of work. And without them, it would be probably kind of hard to find somebody with the wherewithal to stand up the federal government, file a lawsuit, and prosecute it properly. And that's what these guys are doing, and gals. So if you're so inclined, go visit ij.org. I'll put the link in the description below the video, Institute for Justice, and check out what they do. And if you agree with me, they're doing good work. Perhaps make a donation. If nothing else, bookmark their page, go back and visit it occasionally, and check out what they do, because these stories, unfortunately, happen more often than you'd like to think. That is stories where somebody was in a lot of trouble and had nowhere to turn, and the Institute for Justice stepped in and said, we will help this person. That is what they do. So I love the work they do, and I salute them for that. But here, their lawsuit has uncovered the inside story of the FBI's plans to take the security deposit boxes without charging owners of crimes. They intended to, planned to, et cetera, et cetera, get the contents of those boxes and keep it civil asset forfeiture, without knowing what was in the boxes, without knowing who put the stuff in the boxes, and without having any inkling of any crimes committed by anyone in connection with the stuff. They just thought, hey, here's a bunch of stuff we can grab. We'll grab it, and we'll figure it all out later. So there you go, Matt. Thanks for standing it. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that.